You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Chapter 6 today, and if you want to turn there, we're going to have a special reading today. We're going to uh, invite somebody near and dear to my heart. Uh, we're going to have um, my amazing wife, Ashley Smith, come on up and uh, read the word, so follow along. Yeah, you can get excited. I'm excited. We'll just use my mic. Come on, come on. Come on we, can, we can share this. Okay. All right, All right uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Okay, Genesis 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were louder, born to them, louder. the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them there as their wives, any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore them children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And this is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You can take that, babe. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a sweet treat for your listening pleasure and my viewing pleasure. You know what I'm saying? Um, church, we are in Genesis chapter 6. And Genesis chapter 6 is uh, in, in, in 6 through 9. And that's a story that we are all familiar with. Uh, even if you're not uh, familiar with church or you didn't grow up in the church, most people know the flood story. Most people uh, grew up hearing something about Noah's Ark, and this is a, a powerful story that can, can kind of be reduced just to a, a childhood story. And right now, our kids, they're over in kids' ministry right now, and they are also learning the same story as we go through the Bible, as we are going through the Old Testament, our kids' ministry and our youth are also doing it. So the idea is that when you go home, you can talk to your kids. You can go, hey, what are you learning? Grandkids, youth, wherever you're at. The, as a church, we're going through this. And they are learning the story of Noah's Ark right now as we speak. And, you know, I think most of us have this image of a flannel graph. And we have, you know, cute little Noah and happy animals smiling. And they're hugging each other. And the story is not a child, a children's story, actually. It is a story of, of great sadness, of God's wrath, of God's judgment, of, of, a, of a place where it also comes with great hope. There's great joy. That the story of Noah's Ark is a, is a story that, if we're too familiar with it, it can really miss its power. Because we just get familiar with it. We just go, oh, that's a story about animals in a boat. But there's real power in the story of Noah's Ark. And we're going to look at that today as we move forward through 
uh, biblical text. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I, you guys, you church, have done such a great job. Thank you for following up. One, after service. When right after service, you've come up with some great questions as we have went through the Bible, as we've been going through the Bible, you've sent in emails. Um, keep those coming. I enjoy engaging with you in our understanding of God's word. And I want you to understand, and as we learn together, we just want to continue to be humble. And I know for some of us, uh, chapters 1 through 11 is ancient history to everyone. It is before we have any sort of record of of historical events, chapters 1 through 11. And, and you can really think about uh, the book of Genesis in a number of ways. But, but one, you can think of four events, chapters 1 through 11, four events. Uh, four events that you've seen already. Creation, fall, uh, the flood story, and Babel, the Tower of Babel. So there's four events. When you're thinking through the, the Bible, oh, where are those? The first 11 chapters are going to cover those four events. They're, the main events that they're pointing you to is creation, that you were made in the image and likeness of God, that there was a, an original sin, that there was a great divide, that original sin, that it affected everything that we're familiar with. It affected the most beautiful of sunsets. It affected the way that we are, we are born, that we are born into sinful man, that we are born into sin. That it's, it's affected relationships, that, that original sin has touched every aspect of human life and all of creation. And then there are two more events in the first 11 chapters that are the flood and the Tower of Babel. And what we see is we're going to begin to see patterns. And then for the next, from, from chapters 12 through 50 are four people, four men, one line, a people group. Where did the Jews come from? Where did Israel come from? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So four events, four people. That's kind of a big picture way of how you can understand the, the, the Bible. But in, the, in Genesis, the first 11 chapters, they can just be difficult to get our minds around. There can be different views. They can, we can hold to different views. I actually uh, hold to... Uh, a little bit different view than, than others in uh, portions of Genesis. And when I was applying for some churches, uh, a hill that is not to die on by any means um, it was, uh, was creation and how many days was creation and was it actually 24 hours. And, you know, I hold that view loosely. On some days I can go, yeah, 24-hour day, seven-day literal creation. Other days I'm like, well, the sun and moon weren't there till the fifth day, fifth, fourth day, and because of that chart that I gave you, I can remember that. Um, and so, there, you know, it, does, it doesn't matter to me if it's literal days, if it's, uh, if it's figurative there. Like, I can, I can hold to that, to that loosely, but this church in particular, they were like, no, 24-hour days. And I'm like, okay, well, nobody was there. How would we verify that? Well, well, Moses says it, and there was evening and there was morning. I'm like, Moses wasn't there. But, okay, I'll go with you. Um, so these are views, and I say this stuff in kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's important that we hold this, we hold our doctrine firm, and we stand on who Christ is, and also there's room for interpretation, that we just got to continue be, to be humble as we understand Scripture. And... Um, 
as we move forward, continue to bring your questions forward. Apparently, I struck a nerve last week with some of you men on uh, being passionate, more passionate about football than Jesus, uh, because I had some great feedback. In fact, I, uh, a buddy sent me uh, a note last night, and he said, and it was like a little meme, and it says, the next time your, the next time your pastor mentions how much you celebrate football over Jesus, just douse him with Gatorade. So I'm just waiting for it in next service because I know that guy will be here in next service. What, what this does, though, is it stirs up conversation. We want to continue to have conversation to say, what do we believe to be true about God? How does the scriptures point us to God? What is it that we know? How does God interact with his people? And, and the Bible, as it progresses, as we go through the Bible, how we understand God, how we understand God in Genesis chapter 1, it, it unfolds. And the Bible, it just didn't float down from the sky. Like I say this all the time, this didn't come down in the form that it is, and it floated down to one holy man, and we had it in this form. But the Bible being formed over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, that there's a progressive understanding of how people understood God. There's a progressive understanding of, of how people interacted with God. And there's patterns. And there's a pattern again today. So now as we get into the text, when we look at the flood story, it should invoke emotion into us going, I've seen this before. This feels like the creation story. This feels like we've been here before. When you get to the Tower of Babel, you'll go, man, this story seems like there's been a series of of people who have hurt the image of God, that they're going against fellow man, that it's humanity against humanity, and that they're sinning against humanity. And there's so much sin that God in his holiness refuses to not judge it. That I've seen this story, that there's a remnant of people who are faithful. I've seen this story of, of humanity decreating what God has created to be good. And then God brings judgment, and he brings recreation. And so when we go through the text today, when we look at it, we're just going to look at these first few verses that Ashley read. And as we look through this, I'll explain the whole story of, of the ark. But you should feel emotions. I've been here before. And that's the right thing to do. It's a pattern. And it will continue. I shouldn't go down this rabbit hole, but I will. Um, but it's also one thing... A, a key ingredient to understanding the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has, uh, has, a, has a bad rap for being really difficult to understand. It really isn't that difficult to understand. Uh, one of my Bible teachers said, it's the fifth gospel, but with special effects. Uh, it's the fifth gospel, but with pictures. It's the fifth gospel with dragons, and Jesus is sweet with like a sword and swords from his face and a tattoo on his leg and a cool horse. Like, it's the same gospel that we've seen, but it's meant to comfort those who are being persecuted. It is, it is not a comfort to those who are not following Christ, but it shows a real judgment. It pulls back the scene of what's happening around us today. The book of Revelation, but here's the trick, that you see a pattern that keeps repeating, and you think, oh, is this something different? But it's actually telling you, again, that the world is being destroyed, that the world is being rebuilt. And then it'll, and then it'll go to another story, and it'll say the same thing, but in a different way, with a different picture, a different image. So that you see the same thing happening, but from a different vantage point. And when we look at the book of 
book of Revelation, it's important to understand that because what happens is we end up putting this on like a linear timeline and then the book gets really confusing. But I've digressed. In the book, in the, uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 6 through 9, and I'll just give you a quick overview. What we have, what Ashley read for us is the background. This is what's happening in the world, that sin continues to multiply, that, that God's people are not caring for God's people, that there is, that, it, that one of the most heartbreaking verses in all the Bible is chapter, is, is chapter 6, verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he had made the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That the Lord looked out on creation. That, that this is before Israel. This is before, uh, this is before the Jewish line. This is just looking at humans. This is just looking at humanity. And it grieved the Lord. That in his heart, that he was sad that he had made creation. That it, it, it moved him. And so then what happens is this, this man, Noah, that Noah is, is told to build an ark, a huge boat. It's a little smaller than the Titanic. Uh, he's told to get this big boat. God gives him instructions all through uh, the end of chapter 6 on how big it will be. And then Noah begins to build this ark. Noah was 600 years old, uh, which is a biblical way of showing that he was about three-quarters of the way through his life. And Noah builds this ark, and for 120 years... The dude just builds, builds this boat in the middle of the desert, in the, in the Middle East. He's just sitting there building a boat. Like, remember the country song, Oceanfront Property in Arizona? Like, it's an oxymoron. And he's just sitting there, and he's building a boat, and, and people are like, what are you doing, dude? Like, fishing boat I get. Take that down to the sea. You're building a yacht. Like, you're building this monster boat. And he's like, yeah, I'm a... There's room for you. There's room for you. God's going to bring a judgment on the earth. And for 120 years, one thing that we, we don't get to see, but the text implies, and we see this from the New Testament, is that, that Noah preached for 120 years. That when we look at Peter, and Peter talks about Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, and when Jesus went down to the inmost parts of the earth to preach to those of Noah's time, that there was room on the boat for others. That Noah continued to preach. Noah continued to tell people, there's room. Repent. Turn to God. The story goes on. And then in, in chapter 7, and verse 17, for 40 days it rained. A massive, massive rain to flood the earth. Uh, the rain continued for 40 days. And 150 days, the rain stayed on the earth. In chapter 8, that the, the water begins to subside, and there's a new covenant made at the end of 8 and goes into 9. We see covenant language, covenant between God and Adam. Now we see a covenant made between God and Noah. We see another creation story, and God blessed, in verse, chapter 9, verse 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Have we heard that language before? Yes, we have. Great Bible students. And fill the earth. A redo. Build, do it again. Further down in verse 6, another, another image of God's story. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in what? 
his own image. You got this. Patterns. And another command in verse 7 to multiply. And you be fruitful and multiply. We've seen this before. We have another creation story. We see another pattern. So this is a big story that covers about three chapters. But we, there's, we don't see the 120 years. We don't see the life of Noah as it's built up to this point. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three points that point to, to the Noah's Ark and how it points to Christ. How does the Ark point to Jesus? Obedience, judgment, and hope. How do we see obedience, judgment, and hope from this text? So we're going to uh, look again in chapter 6, verses 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters, the daughters that were born to them, the sons of God that saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took for them wives of their choice. Obedience. Right here, what we see, we see the heavenly command that we saw in creation. God said to multiply and fill the earth. Did, did humanity do that? Did humans do that? Yes, we have a humanity. We have a world now. We have creation. People have began to multiply and fill the earth. And what happens? But they multiplied with evil. Instead of living like people were created in the image of God, instead of living in that created order and that structure of how God created them, that man produced and kept reproducing evil. We, see, we have this story a real interesting story and also has, uh, it's great for good theological debate, where these, these um, the sons of God and the daughters of man, what traditionally this has been is some heavenly, angelic, angel-type people came down, and, and what we should see is they came down and they slept with uh, daughters of man. Um, I see some children in the room, so just know that slept with is a euphemism. And what they did is they began to multiply evil. Now, the, the debate here is whether these were actually heavenly angelic people or because of kings and, and rulers of the time, these were just high powerful men. These were high powerful men that, that they began to uh, fornicate and take on wives that were more than one wife. And it was a, it was a bad deal. Whatever the case is, we see a pattern that in chapter 6, in the first few verses, they saw and they took. Where have we seen where somebody saw and they took? We saw this with Adam and Eve, that they saw that the fruit was good, that they took of it, that there was something from the outside that had penetrated their world, that we saw the serpent. Now the serpent, we see these these sons these, these, these uh, sons of God and, and the daughters of man, something has come into their world that they saw and they took. We see this pattern. But what happens here is in the midst of this, and what the, the story is trying to zoom in on is one man's obedience. Now, one thing that just it's nails on the chalkboard for me is that we, we love to sing songs, we love to talk about Noah, that he was a good man, he was the only good man, Noah was good. Noah wasn't good. Noah was inherently 
born to sin, just like everybody else. There was nothing special about Noah. Noah was born into this condition. Born, Noah has felt the effects of sin here. But what Noah did, it says in the text in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, Noah was right, a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Why? What made Noah righteous? What made him blameless, not sinless, not good? For the rest of the verse tells us, Noah walked with God. Have we seen somebody else walk with God? Have we seen somebody else walk with God in a pre-sin condition? This is the same pattern that we saw with, with Adam. That Adam, that he had a relationship because he had, he had walked, that he had strived with God. Noah, and, and in verse 22, it says, Noah did what God had commanded. This is repeated again down in uh, 7 verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. What made Noah set apart, what made Noah righteous, what ma made Noah right with God, is that he walked with the Lord. That Noah, he, he was obedient to what God had told him to do. Can you imagine this? Just think about, I don't know, has, is there anybody in here, anybody in here, has God ever told you to do something? Has God told you to do something crazy? Yeah, something on your heart? Yeah, re yeah recently, um, I was... I was telling my son, my, my, my oldest son, uh, Trey, was asking me, is it ever hard for you to hear from God or is it hard for you to be obedient to God? I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally hard. I was recently at a store, and this is small. This is small, little obedience. But I had I'd walked by, and I was on the rack, and I'm looking at a piece of clothing. And downstream, way further from the clothing, it had done something to, to make the, the clothes fall. Fell on the ground. I'm just... Fell on the ground. Jacket. So I'm just sitting there and like, hmm. too bad. So I'm sitting there and I just have this sense that the Lord tells me, pick it up. And I'm like, I ain't picking it up. I didn't do that. Just such a child, even with the creator of the universe. I'm like, no. And the Lord just spoke to me. This is just recently down at that big antique place down in, in Aurora. And the Lord said, this isn't a, this isn't your job, you didn't do that, but I want you to be obedient right now. And I'm like, I bet there's a million dollars in the pocket. I bet, I bet there's a winning lottery ticket. God's going to hook me up. Yeah, I'm going to do that. So I get over there, and I just pick it up. There's nothing in there. So I just flop it up on the, on the top, and I walk away. I feel good about myself. I pick that up. I pick that up. And God's like, no, I want you to put it back on the hanger. Stop this. This is petty. This is dumb. This, and this isn't like building an ark, but it's still the point of annoyance. God is annoying me at this point. I'm like, I don't work here. And so I put it up on the hanger, and I just kind of flop it, and I put it there. And I kid you not, church, I put it up there. I feel darn good about it. I feel real good. And I walk away, and I, get, I go down, and I turn the corner, and I just sense the Lord says, I want you to zip it up so it doesn't fall off the hanger. I'm like, this is getting silly. And so I do it, I do it, and I go back, and I zip it up. And there's been no benefit to me at all since that. I have no idea. Other than I can see the point of what annoyingly can, can at times can be obedient. And I don't know why the Lord had laid that on my heart. Uh, this wasn't an audible conversation from God. Um, but it was a sense of just doing the next thing. 
being obedient. As it's uh, being obedient, the, the looking at obedience, it says a, a saying that we all know is that Rome wasn't built in a day. Rome was not built in a day. But Rome was built every day. Every day they were building Rome. The ark was not built in a day. It took 120 years. But every day Noah was working on the ark. Every day Noah just took the next step. Noah went and got some gopher wood. Noah went and got some pitch. Noah went and he, and he preached and he just said, there's still room here. Why are you doing this, Noah? What are you doing? God has said that he's going to send a judgment. God has said that he, he spoke to me and he's put this on my heart. And I don't know why I'm doing this. Noah, you look like an idiot. You look crazy. I know. I know I do. Think about. But, but Noah, in his heart, and he's going, look, here's the deal. I look crazy, but I see a judgment coming. God has put on my heart a judgment that is going to wipe out humanity. And there's still room on the boat. There's still room. There's one way. There's one entrance. There's one door. And there's still room to enter that. And for 120 years of obedience, that's what Noah's marked as. When we look at in, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of faith, that the book of faith in chapter 11, it looks back on the heroes of faith and it just says that Noah was obedient to his faith. That Noah just did the next thing. It wasn't a superhero. And this is the problem when we make, when we make biblical characters the superhero. Because they're not the superhero. God is the superhero. It's like David and Goliath. Again, a tangent I should not get on. They told me not to go down this tangent. Um, you know, David and Goliath's story is a great example where we turn David into this superhero. And then we're just like, you know... What are your five smooth stones that you need to pick up in life? And, and, and you know, what are, what's the giant in front of you? Your credit card bill. Like, no, the point of the story is that David is like Jesus, or rather, he is a type of Jesus. That when we were sitting on the side, when we were fear and trembling, when we couldn't save ourselves, that Jesus came in and that Jesus saved us. We look and we don't go, oh, how can we be a David and swing a... You know, a little slingshot. No, four left over. It's not about our giants and how can we just conquer our latest giant. But it's about Christ and he's the only one that can conquer our giants. That our, our, our obedience, that we look at what God is doing and, and we are obedient. That we look at what Christ has called us to and we just take the next step. We take the very next step. The second point, as we think about being obedient, when we see the obedience of Noah, we also have to look at God's judgment. Now, yeah, the room just goes silent. It's an awkward, awkward topic. Um, I'm on vacation next week, so I can just blow this whole thing up, and I'll leave it to Ron, Pastor Ron. Sin and judgment, and Pastor Ron's up next week. So one thing, as we know God as love, we know God is, is rich in mercy, that he's abounding in kindness. That in Psalms it says, God, God, he's slow to anger. That tethered to God's attributes is his righteous judgment. That, that God, that he looks out and that there is limitations to what God will allow. There's limitations to what God says, okay, there, there, there is sin in this world. And also at the other side of that, he knows that there is a 
judgment and an ultimate judgment. Uh, if we look, you don't need to flip here. I'll find it here. Uh, not there. Always, always that guy. In in Second Peter, in Second Peter, verses chapter three, verses nine, it says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient." towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance that god we see god in his judgment that we see god at this this is not a favorite topic but we see that he is slow in bringing his judgment that we we look at we look at god and we go there's there's a saying that says that man was created in the image of god and man returned the favor. The quote says, God was made in the image of man, and man returned the favor. Meaning that man turned towards God, that, that man began to make God whatever they wanted him to be. I don't want my God to be mean. I don't want my God to be judgy. I don't want my God, my God, my God would never do dot, dot, dot. My God would never bring judgment. My God would never uh, hold somebody accountable for sin that this is why we go through God's word church that we need we need we need to know God not just our concept of him right we need to know God and not just our concept of him and a and a part of God's character is that he will not allow suffering to go on God will not allow. He is slow to anger, as Psalm says, that he is slow in his judgment. Think about this. Think about the story that we all know. Remember the story that we heard just last week, two weeks ago, Adam and Eve? What did God say to Adam? If you eat of that fruit, what will happen? You will surely what? Die. Did Adam and Eve, on that day, you will surely die. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. What did that day look like? 930 years. They didn't die that day. But death entered the world that for 930 years, that judgment just, just lingered. That, 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 that Adam, that he lived another 900, that he lived 930 years. And that that, that judgment, that again, like, for, like Peter tells us, that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day to the Lord. That when we look at in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant and he's with Abraham. And he says, look, when I give you this land, when I give you the land of Canaan, that, that I will give you this land, but their iniquity is not yet full. That their sin is not yet full. That I'm going to give them 400 years to repent. God is going to take his people into the promised land. But he's going to wait 400 years. Can, can you imagine Abraham? He's like, cool. <laughs> like, you, you, Abraham's not going to see it. Abraham's just going to be obedient. Abraham's just going to do what God has told him to do. And, he, and God says, in 400 years, we're going to see if the Canaanites repent and turn away. That is my slow to anger. That is my slow to judge. The point that Jesus uh, of the gospel story is that Jesus that he came he came not to be served but but to serve but God he came to give us grace he came to save the world and ultimately one day he will judge the world this is not popular right now this is not a popular topic that Christ will return 
he will return someday and that there will be a judgment of this world that someday church that I will stand before the Lord and I will give an account for my life. I will give an account for what I've done with my life. And, and I and I pray to God that my that that Christ's righteousness is on me. I'm assured of my salvation through God's word that Christ's righteousness would cover me. But be assured, church, the New Testament speaks often and regularly of the second coming and that there will be a day of judgment. That there is a there is a limit to how long God will hold off. But Second Peter tells us that he's slow, that he's patient, that all would turn to him and that all would repent. The revelation tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. There's a story that I love that illustrates the, the judge and, and our Savior. There's a little boy, and he grew up, and he was, a, he was a wild little boy, and he grew up, and he got into a little bit of trouble, and there was a man in his life, and this man had, had helped him, and he got him out of trouble, and he got him out of this bad situation that could have taken him to jail. Well, years go on, and this bad little boy had turned into a bad little man. And one day, this, this, this little boy is before this judge, and he looks up, and he notices. He goes, that's the, kid, that's the man that helped me when I was a young kid. And I was a little punk, and I was going astray. And what he did is he, he appealed to the judge on that same kindness. He said, hey, hey, judge, remember me. I, I'm, the, I'm that little boy that you helped when I was kind of a troubled kid and some pr- trouble going on at home. You, you, you saved me. Remember that? And judge, do that again. And the judge brings a sentence and sentences the young man to prison. And he, he looks back and he says, what, what, why did you act like that when I was a kid? But now when I really need you, why are you bringing such a, such a judgment on me? And the judge looks down and he says, boy, at that stage of your life, I was your savior. And now I'm your judge. And Jesus, he, he is both. He is our savior and he's our judge. And that leads us to our last point here. Our last point in that we draw from the story of Noah's Ark is hope. Jesus is our Savior, but Jesus is also our hope. When we think about the story, that the doctrine, the symbolism for the Christian theology that comes from the Ark is rich. We think about the Ark is a symbol of judgment to those who are being judged. Think about those who saw the ark, and then the rain started coming. Think about as those rains went on and went on, and then they saw this guy might be right. That the ark represents a symbol of judgment, yet for those who were being saved by it, those who were in it, were this, the ark is a symbol of saving. Just as there is one door into the ark, There is one way to God through Christ. Just as we are in Christ, so Noah was in the ark being saved. Just as Noah was being saved, he would ultimately be saved. That the the ark becomes the symbol of hope for us. It becomes a symbol that that in, in the darkest days, in the darkest judgment, in the darkest nights, the darkest nights of the soul... 
that there's hope, that, that, Christ, that Christ is this, that the ark is this typology of Christ, that we are in him and that we are safe, that we are in him and that he is saving us through this dark world, that we are in him and that culturally, that those who are being judged, that the, the ark should be a symbol of hope, a symbol of safety, that this should still be our team. That we look at the ark and we go, this is our message as Christians. That we just take the next step of obedience. That we say, church, that we say, world, there's still room. That the door is still open. That there's still room in the ark. That there's still room at the foot of the cross. That this becomes a story of hope. Not of, not of one man who's, who's good. This is one man who was obedient. We actually see at the end of the story, Noah, he falls astray like everyone else. Noah gets to the end. Noah is not the hero of the story. Noah gets to the end. He gets off the boat after about a year or so. He gets out back to the good life, drinks too much, and does some horrendous, horrendous sin. And we see that like our first Adam, Noah failed. We'll see, it, we'll see it again and again because we see patterns. The story of the ark, the story of Noah's ark is a symbol to us of everyday obedience. That we just, we just wake up and we do the next thing. We do the, the next thing. That the ark wasn't built in a day, but every day we worked on the ark. Every day we did the next thing. The, for me, this is, I fall short often of being a dad. So for me, this is going, dang, I messed up again, getting down with my kids and saying, not sorry, but son, forgive me. Daughter, forgive me. I'm sorry. I messed up again. I wasn't loving you. I wasn't patient with you like how Christ loved the church. I didn't love you the way that, that I should love you. Will you forgive me? It's just a step of obedience. It's one step of going, God, you're in control of my wallet. It's, it's obedience. It's daily obedience. Second, that, that we get into the, the it's, it's judgment. That I go, someday I'll stand before you. I'll give an account sooner than I think. It goes by a lot sooner. I mean, I'm, I told you, church, I am getting to a point where I don't even like to put on my socks. Every morning I'm like, ah, slip-ons seem a lot better. I am aging, and I feel like I'm getting closer to seeing you. I know you guys don't think that because I'm 40, but I, I've, I'm like an 80-year-old in a 40s body, an unhealthy 80-year-old. Uh, every day we are reminded that we are closer to judgment than we were yesterday. That w someday we will stand before God. But right now, Christ is our hope. That the ark points to Christ and that he is our hope in this world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are continually and faithfully good. In all of life's circumstances, Lord, I find you, I'm crying out to you right now. I, I see your hope, and I see the things that you're doing in life, and I see um, that you have just, you've been holding me, that you've been holding us as a church. And Jesus, I just pray as a church and as myself and uh, getting to be a part of this amazing church that we just take the next step of obedience. We just take that we, we see humans as image bearers of you, that we treat them accordingly.
that our hearts for the people that annoy us, that bug us, that are our enemies, God, that you would give us a new heart for them, that we would see them as image bearers of you, even when it's really hard to see that image. Would we live out as image bearers of you when people see us, that they would say, that, is, that must be what God's like. That's how God is generous. That's how God is kind. That's how God is patient. That's how God is long-suffering. God, I just pray that this is more than just a sermon, but, Lord, that it, it, it turns our hearts being closer to you. Lord, we thank you that you are faithfully good. We love you in your good name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.